This is Line Dance Podcast. I'm Christopher Gonzalez. Hello and welcome once again to Line Dance Podcast on Move Radio at Starbucks. This is Christopher Gonzalez with Megan Barcelia. And we are continuing with our 350 good questions to ask. We left off with our last answer being, do you think that aliens exist? Yes. Uh, especially once we get up there. Um, after that was the question number 45. What are you currently worried about? So, without further ado, how does this relate to line dance? Well, we're definitely in the process of uh, choreographing, as well as getting you ready for several upcoming events in which we will be attending, as well as some that we'll be teaching at. And we're just kind of figuring out how to financially afford all of that, as well as to properly prepare for the teaching um, to sound confident and clean and get the best descriptions out there so that people can really grasp hold of the dances. Um, I'd also say which dances we're going to be learning to prep for the next couple uh, events. I guess this, I don't know if this is much of a worry as something I'm remaining very alert on is um, moving because I'm, I'm moving out of the place that I've been living in for the last two years sometime in the next two months. And I am thinking East Bay because it's the most centrally located for all the line dance things that we do. Uh, it gets you up to Stoney's, uh, gets you down to Saddle Rack, uh, country quick steppers and uh, boots and buckles socials, wine country line dance socials, Dolly's classes, Sonoma State Line Dance Club, to some extent Modesto, so we can finally get out there. It's about an hour from everything. But finding low rent and a decent place in a safe neighborhood these days is challenging. So. That is what I have been balancing, is where can we still be in the middle of a healthy and vibrant line dance scene while also not paying too much in rent? Because we were also looking at Arizona recently, very low rent there, but we also don't know the scene and we don't know many people in that state. So that has been a concern. Where will we be in a couple of months? And then how do we afford all the events as well? All right, number 46. What's the most interesting building you've ever seen or been in? And I'm going to assume they mean in real life. So not like Wayne Manor. I'm trying to think ballroom-wise. Oh. I definitely think Vegas was interesting. With it being so tucked away in its own little world back there. Um, I do like that all the ballrooms are relatively close to one another. Um, and very accessible from one room to the next. However, very, very far away from your rooms. I did feel quite the journey back to the hotel room at night. Um... I've heard that where they hold worlds in Tennessee or Nashville, um, 
is definitely a sight to be seen. So I'm looking forward to potentially seeing that this upcoming year. Um, I don't know. I can't really think of where else I would find interesting. Even Worlds this year I thought was very grand. The hotel that they they held it in this year was very spacious inside. It was one of those where usually like with a motel, all the doors face out and the rooms are back to back. Here, it seemed like all the rooms faced in. So there was this central courtyard area with a big glass ceiling and you kind of felt like you were in like a rainforest exhibit or something. I thought that was interesting. Also, Powerhouse Pub in Folsom. The floor is not made for dancing, but the place is decorated very interestingly. And every little nook feels like you might be in the best place to sit in the whole building because they all have like different themes going on in the different alcoves. So I would recommend it just for walking around and maybe watching a live band. There's so much on the walls and on the ceiling and hanging from the ceiling. And it's little details. It's very hard to describe. Maybe if somebody has a photo of it online, that would be something to check out. I might have videos from some dance night years ago on YouTube. It's Powerhouse Pub in Folsom. I'm trying to think if there are other places like that where they've got a lot of culture inside. I know Cowboy Country is kind of like that. Cowboy Country in Long Beach has different floors, different uh, different floors as far as like dance floors, but also levels. So you can be up on the second floor or the bottom floor. The ranch has an interesting shape where it's kind of sunk in, but then it has these tiers of seats and tables that go up and out from there. So you're almost like in a, an arena when you're down on the dance floor. Saddle Rack has the multiple bars thing going on. So you, everywhere, you know, a few paces away, everywhere you walk is another bar. Stoney's has a lot of culture um, and different sections. I like that there are zones at Stoney's. So it's not just one big room. Like the grad, for example, is one big room where you have the pool table and the ski ball around the back of the DJ booth. Uh, and, you know, you're just steps away from the floor. But with Stoney's, you feel like when you're in the karaoke room, that is the room for karaoke. You don't really hear the dance music. It's its own space. They don't get in each other's way. And then when you are when you go through the door and you are in the area where dancing is held, there's still kind of a division between like the beer pong area, that, that half of the room, and the dance floor area. So those people don't get in the way. And then there's a mechanical bowl, there's a kitchen for you get to get, you know, more stuff from the bar or free food at midnight or order food. So it's well divided and very efficiently run for its space. And I would definitely recommend it to anybody who's coming in from out of town just to kind of see it, even if they don't know, if they think they won't know all the dances. As an environment, it's worth checking out. Are there any other country bars you can think of that we've seen that were noteworthy? Not just like a tile floor or a basement feel? I liked Mavericks back in the day, but I don't know if I would call it interesting as much as big and I love the floor being sprung because you can bounce around on it and of course I did check the videos and you will see lots of bouncing
Yeah, I really can't. I can't think of anywhere else that you haven't really ne- mentioned. Um, oh, Little Waldorf. I wouldn't say that is interesting. I mean, yeah, there's stuff on the wall, but I don't know. It was just, it wasn't, wasn't the same as, say, like, the ranch interesting. What about Copperhead in um, Colorado? More stuff on the walls at that place. I think I'd say that was interesting because of the environment with the people I got to share as opposed to the building itself. Okay. Number 47. What mythical creature do you wish actually existed? I kind of want to ride a centaur. I don't know if they like that, though. I don't think that would be something they would enjoy as much. I feel like you're going to go with dragons, but... (laughs) I was going to say it's a tie between dragons and unicorns. Because um, one, I'd want to ride both of them. And I mean, unicorns are essentially a horse, so there's that. But it's just the idea that it's a unicorn. Um, but dragons, dragons are awesome. So yeah, I'd probably have to decide with dragons. You could do like a centicorn, and then we'd, we'd have beth- best of both worlds. Yeah. You get your horn. And... I don't know. I'm trying to think, what would I... Mm. Isn't there one that's like a, was it, a hippogriff or something? Like a lion and a bird? Uh, I, forget, I don't remember all of them. I used to know more. Say, or a flying bison. Huh. It's an avatar thing, if you don't know. Okay. I don't know much about that. I want an appa. I also want a momo, which is a flying lemur, but that's a different story. I'm trying to think, is, I mean, you, were you into like Greek and Roman mythology as a kid? Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to think, like, what do we... I mean, there's a minotaur. That was a famous one. I'll, but I'll definitely pass on the minotaur. <laughs> yeah, I have no use for a minotaur in my life right now. I'm trying to think of what else was there other than just the gods. Like the nymphs and dryads and naiads. I don't really know as much about them. Mythical creature. Jackalope? <laughs> I don't know. I know a lot of people think like the whole mermaid thing, but I think of mermaids more along the lines of sirens than I do mermaids, so I'd be careful on that one. I just think it'd be really cool to see a, tra- a dragon flying overhead or something like that. I guess I might I might have to go with that as well, just because I don't know that much about other mythical creatures. Um, I can't think of anything in Norse mythology offhand. Um, no Native American stuff that I can think of. Mythology... I should probably specify and say Chinese dragon. Okay. Because I think they're gorgeous, and I think the design of them are absolutely quite stunning. And although there's a lot to do with, like, balance of good and evil, I feel like there's a lot more wisdom behind the Chinese dragons, whether they are good and evil, than um, our other options. Maybe a kraken. <laughs> that would be cool. I like the idea that there is a lot in the sea that you have to respect that's more powerful than you. And it seems like we don't really get that from whales. People just kill whales. But I think if it were a kraken and a serious threat, you would you would think twice before being a menace on the ocean. Might might get your stuff handed to you. Maybe. All right. Oh, boy. Totally different direction. Number 48. What are your most important rules when going on a date? I would say put the other person first as much as you can. Um, yeah, that, that'll, that'll 
do a lot as far as just making sure everyone's having a good time. Because if they're thinking the same for you and you're thinking that of them, then, you know, check in. Make sure you're having fun. But, like, definitely be considerate. Don't just make it, here's what I want to do and you're coming too, I guess. It's a little bit interesting because um, it's been about two years since I've been on a date. So, um... She's single and ready to mingle, folks. Maybe. I don't know. I'm totally speaking for her. Anyways. Um... I like the idea of just kind of general, in general, you know, um, taking the effort, being presentable, but being who you are, um, as well as like being on time and stuff like that. I think the most important thing is be, be willing to go on an adventure. I think that's how you're really going to know somebody is if something happens, um, Outside of your normal, like, coffee date or something like that. Be willing to try going someplace new and, um, you know, just be a little bit different. Yes, as soon as you say said uh, be willing to, I was thinking take risks, like acceptable risks. Check in and be sure that you're both still comfortable with what's happening and, like, pace things as necessary. Like, don't just rush into skydiving if they don't even know you're like last name you know like you you should you should see what you're both game for but you you probably should take risks first of all like going out of your comfort zone will make for a memorable experience um and you'll both you know grow from it so it won't just have been passing the time also one mistake that i made a lot in early dating was not reading signs and playing it very safe and always hoping that they would do something first and they thought I was supposed to do those things at the same time so nothing really happened (laughs) for a long time Um, and since then I have learned that it's okay to like test waters a little at a time and see oh is this okay to do oh I, I guess it is they're into that they're like feeding back into that so I guess, I guess maybe I should try this other thing if that's something I feel like would naturally come next. Oh, okay, that's fine too. Wow, we're 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 on the same page. Just stay on the same page. And if you're not on the same page, respectfully get back on it. <laughs> no need to skip ahead. Um, now, as far as that goes, uh, dance wise, I would say match their pace to some extent. If you are more of the dancer than they are, like. You don't want to leave them in the dust and just bring them to some dance place so you can show off and be on the floor the whole night doing every dance you know while they have no idea what's going on and are just watching and kind of trying to make their own fun with whoever's sitting next to them. At that point, they're pretty much on the date with everyone else, not you. You are the least person they're on a date with because you are not even talking to them. You're just kind of having your evening while they watch you. That's not that fun from from what I've heard other stories about. You know. Any thoughts about line dance dates? Um, we'll just kind of like touch on like what you'd already said. It is true. It is really difficult being the person on the sidelines that doesn't know all but like five of the dances while you're out there able to have the time of your life. Um not that you need to sacrifice not being out there yourself, but maybe if you know you're going to take them to this particular place, like teach them a couple of the dances prior or even 
you know, sit, sit out of one or two of the ones that you're kind of like, meh, I don't need to do this one, um, just so you can get to know them. Um, any of the ones, if they seem adventurous, like I said, being open and willing for adventure, um, any of the ones that you think they might be able to follow on the floor, getting them out there for that, that's, that's certainly a bonding experience and very enjoyable because they feel like included and I know for me, as weird as this sounds, I really don't like getting too personal about this kind of stuff. But like some of the things I look for is someone who's willing to teach me things because I'm very much someone who wants to learn. Um, so that's really important to me personally. And so that's one of those things that like if someone was to bring me out on the dance floor, that's going to make an impression on me. Um, as well as obviously the reverse is also true, letting me teach them something, but that's a totally different situation. Um, it's a little bit trickier when I guess line dance dates because, um, you know, a lot of people can get intimidated at, um, dancing. You'd have to find a dancer already who's willing to try some of those things um at least from what i've seen experience wise for non-dancers meeting up with dancers um definitely don't overwhelm them but other than that multiple things came to mind uh one what you were saying earlier about being presentable, bring deodorant, bring any refresher of scent that you need. Mint is good. Um, keep your best foot forward. I would say a, a acceptable risk fits in here as well because it might be good for them to see you struggle with something. If you know most of the dances, but there's some dance that neither of you know, that's a great opportunity for you to grab them and say like hey neither of us know this one let's try to follow it and that way it's an equalizing way of showing your lack of you know superiority or whatever like you are willing to look like a beginner in front of them and then you can you show them that it's okay to not know all the steps to every dance go to the lessons together that as well yeah um i would probably not take every new date to the dance place either. Uh, I think it's a good idea, for me anyway, just from what I've experienced in the last several years at Country Bars, to maybe start out with those worlds separate because if things don't go well, now you look around and everyone that you're kind of interested in, you've already brought on a date there and it didn't work out. And now you get to go watch them like with their new significant others or whatever it is. Uh, I've heard other people have that issue as well. There's some places where they feel like they can't go back because they have too much drama there. So I just keep it drama-free by not dating people who go to those dance places frequently or even trying. I'm fine with just seeing them while I'm there and just having that be a nice, safe, entanglement-free world uh, rather than somewhere that you feel like you need to avoid or someplace you can't fully let yourself go in because this person or that person is going to cause you an emotional upset. 
to maybe take them somewhere that doesn't have anything to do with dance. And maybe this kind of goes for just date stuff in general. Go somewhere where you're on an uh, on a level playing field. You know, go um, LARPing. Street or, fair. Street fair. Yeah, exactly. You know, someplace where you know you you both don't know the territory. You're discovering things at the same time. You can point out interesting things, and it's not one way. It's not. Oh, I know everything about this next dance that's coming up, and I'm going to tell you about it. And like, well. What fun is that for for, um, for the other person if they can't if they can't offer the same? They'll feel like why are they even there? Yeah, if you do some type of market or street fair or something like that, it gives you plenty to converse about, but also gives you those few moments in which you can kind of look at the same booths separately as well um, and get those moments to kind of be yourself and be relaxed and comfortable. And then if you see something, you can, you know, then communicate about that particular, you know, item or whatever that's for sale um, as well as, you know, if there's food, most people like street fair food. Most people like the market food. Um, it really lets you kind of get to know the person as well because, like, if there's fresh produce, you know, and they're, like, giving out samples of, you know, the five different plums or pears or something like that, um, it gives you a chance to taste and experience something new with the person um, as and, like, see how they react to things, see how they enjoy things, and if they end up liking pears versus plums or vice versa. It's just little, little information that you get to acquire by the other person. Um, and there's a lot to do at, like, street fairs and, you know, farmer's markets and whatnot that tends to be pretty engaging for most people. Mm-hmm. And you get to get out. You get to enjoy it. Um, and, again, like I said, it gives you plenty of opportunity to be quiet or converse so it's not like a movie where you have to be quiet or like a coffee shop where if you're not talking it's awkward yeah and some dance venues can be so loud that you're shouting and that's not fun either and then the only place to talk is the smoking section outside and that that's not for everyone (laughs) also this probably goes without saying and i've i think for most reasonable folks i wouldn't even have to mention it but just in case if you are taking a person to an event for the first time and you are not romantically involved at the time of invitation and you are sharing a room, do not assume that anything will happen uh, because if you do and you're wrong, that person is now in an uncomfortable, captive position where they're stuck trusting you for eight hours while they sleep after you decided that things should be different than they are. So don't do that. That's weird and icky. Maybe start with separate beds and be platonic until sleep is no longer um, part of the journey. You're on your way home. You can talk about doing that at home. But yeah, no captive audience stuff. It's like doing doing something like that while you're out on a boat. Um... For anybody who who knows, I've only seen the clip, but just look up something about boats and because of the implication. Just watch that video clip and you'll know what I mean. It's icky. All right. Any other important rules when going on a date in addition to be presentable, be respectful, go somewhere where it's fun for everyone, not just one or the other? Oh, don't spend too much, I think, early on a date. It's it's not as impressive as it seems. Um, and, And it also kind of pressures them to spend more to match what you are doing otherwise they don't care as much or they owe you something 
just keep it light at first and then you know, go wherever you go beyond that without any expectation if you do feel like spending more money. Yeah, I think a little goes a long way. Okie dokie. <clears throat> 49. How do you judge a person? Well, I try not to. No, that's too easy. Um, how do you judge a person? How they treat people? Go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say internally. <laughs> Quietly. <laughs> yeah, um, but go ahead. Uh, yeah, just how they treat people. Um, there's a quote, something like, you can judge a person by how they treat someone who can do them absolutely no good or something like that. So, like, if a person is nice to someone because they need something from them, then that doesn't really tell you that much. But if they are nice to somebody that they don't depend on, that they're not going to get anything from, like the bus driver, you know, or um, some person who's wearing some cool thing on the street, or, um, you know, their waiter, they don't have to be nice, but if they're being nice anyway, that's good. Like, that that shows that that's just how they are. They're not trying... It's something, like, I've I've read about um, the whole, quote, nice guys thing, like... It shouldn't be um, transactional. Like, you shouldn't be nice to people to get something. It should only be, like, to give. You know, just being a nice person um, is just in, in, in how, you, um, how you think all people should be treated. And it should show in what the person actually does. Not just theoretically, but how they all actually behave always. And, you know, people slip or whatever, but um, if they're consistently dismissive of certain groups of people or if they have a tone or a facial tick about things that, you know, most people are usually able to, like, control, then, I don't know, that that says that there's something under the surface that might come out later and uh, something to keep an eye out for. But yeah, just generally, um, how do you judge a person? Oh, you know, uh, in Taekwondo, they said you can often judge a person by the company they keep. And that's actually another thing to consider is that even if they're super nice and whatever themselves, if they condone certain behaviors um, that you know their friends might engage in um, because they don't want to rock the boat or they think it's more important to just let it happen and, and not cause problems for themselves... That's something to consider because they they might have a voice in it. And maybe them not saying anything is, to the other people, endorsing their behavior. Say, no, it's okay. You can get away with all of these things. And no one's going to bother you. No one's going to say anything. Um, so you know, there are no consequences to your asocial or antisocial behavior. Um, you could be the person to do something about it. And if you know someone who is not doing anything about it, consider why and what that says about their values and their choices. You may be surprised, and maybe it has nothing to do with you know them being you know cowardly or anything like that. But maybe, maybe it would be worth talking with them about. So this is a little bit of a tricky question because we all do it instinctually. I mean, think about it. When you're at a supermarket, how do you talk to one person and not the other? You've made a judgment call on them that 
they're worthy of mentioning something to or for some reason whether it's they look like they need cheering up so you compliment them or they look like they know what they're they're doing so you ask them a question or whatever it is it's there's there's something that instinctually you process same way at like a coffee shop for example why you would talk to someone and why you wouldn't um now with that said i was kind of putting myself in a in sorry um in an environment where there's multiple people in a room and why i would talk to one person first not necessarily like wouldn't talk to anybody else but like what would it be about that one person that makes me want to say something um i'm a people watcher and I watch how they interact, what kind of facial expressions they give, their certain behaviors that they do. Um, and then I judge it on a scale of the idea of, like you were saying, um, how they treat others. Um, I want someone who's warm and welcoming and someone who I feel like I would be easily able to converse with. So watching for those kind of behaviors is important for me um another thing i look for ironically is the outcast i love talking to the one person that everybody else is ignoring because typically they have the most interesting stories they have the most interesting input or uh, a different way to look at things um and i feel like that's a really easy way for me to engage with someone when everybody else is ignoring them um, generally speaking, when, say, there's 10 people in the room and six people are surrounding one person, I don't really want to talk to that one person just yet. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of audience. That's a big conversation I need to feel like I have to hold up my end of the bargain to. And sometimes that can be a lot of pressure. So I'll look for those couple other smaller groups out there, the one or two people that I might be able to have an easier, more natural building conversation that I'm not vying for someone's attention. Um, and so I'll look for that kind of thing. Um, as for like other judgings, I try and avoid any kind of negative judgment based off of like, appearance because that's such a such an inaccurate way to find someone honestly because sometimes people dress a certain way because you know that was laundry day or sometimes they dress a certain way because they just came from somewhere that was themed or sometimes that's just them and I feel like it's a very inaccurate way of, of judging um but I do like when they have something interesting that I can comment on because it's an easy icebreaker. So there's that. Um, i trying to think of what else. I would have to say certainly it really boils down to kind of what you said, just like how they react and interact with others. Um, I've seen a lot of people have negative facial expressions I've seen a lot of people roll their eyes when someone does something and they were watching what they were doing um, not realizing that say like I was watching them um, 
certain things like that. Like I'm, I'm trying to think of like, because it's different at a, an event for me. I'll talk to anybody at an event. It doesn't matter. Um, but like when I go to the bar, it's different because like I'll look at certain people and be like, you know, that's not really a group for me. And I'm trying to figure out why I would make that judgment on them. So, because like there are certain people that I'll certainly go up and talk to and there's certain people I'll try and converse with. Um, especially at a new play a venue, a new bar. Like it's different when I'm at Stoney's because like Stoney's I've been going so long at this point that I, I just kind of settle into my little group that I've pretty much already formed and had formed for the last, you know, two years or whatever. Um, and if they bring someone new into the group, that's how I meet someone new at Stoney's. I don't generally seek out new people. Uh, but if I went, say, for instance, like when I went to um, Reno, I was very open to talking to just about anybody, um, even though you had already made your group of friends there. And so I was like, naturally, I would have at least some interaction with them, but I would be willing to talk to anybody there. And I did. And then there was a couple different times where I would be standing off to the sides for whatever reason and just, you know, briefly comment about something. I met someone who actually was in Santa Rosa or from Santa Rosa that was... Um, moved just recently moved up to Reno right before the fires so like you know like that was a weird conversation to run into someone with um but I'm trying it's like really it's just a matter of like I really do people watch and just kind of gauge how they interact with others and I think that's really where I make my my big judgment yeah some things that I note are um self-awareness like, do they know? Are they aware that they are doing the things that they d- they're doing? Are they completely oblivious to the consequences of their actions? Or are they doing this on purpose? Um, that's why I think when people wear interesting things, it shows that they are living on purpose, you know, intentionally. They, and anytime you see somebody just looking around, they put, the, you know, presumably, they put those clothes on themselves. So they chose what they would look like to the rest of the world that day. So even though you know you can't judge a book by its cover and all that, it does say something. It shows what their priorities are and what their choices were that day, early in the day. Even if you think, well, you know, they were in a hurry. So they, well, why were they in a hurry? They they control their life. Like, well, what was it that they were doing last night into this morning that made them be in a hurry? Um, so yeah responsibility like are they the kind of person when you see them talking with others or um, if they spill something and they don't clean it up and they think it's some they brush something off the table because they think that's somebody else's problem do they take responsibility for their choices Um, do they try to correct things after they may have made a choice that didn't yield the best results for themselves or everybody or do they just repeat it so those things i consider um and consideration of others which relates to events you mentioned um how you talk to anyone at events and that made me think about people who talk to everyone at events during quiet songs and loudly carry on conversations you know kitty corner from someone that they could just get up and walk over to and sit talking quietly with but instead, during pieces, or she used to be mine, or 
other very moving, poignant pieces, the last word, they'll just shout. Because it's about their conversation right then. It's not about the experience everyone else is having in the room. Um, It's what they want to say. So, that is something I watch. And one of the things that I really admire about Joe, for example, is how she takes responsibility for the things that happen in her life. Like the burrito story we've told probably many times in many episodes before. Um, But long story short, for anybody who hasn't heard it, her dog ate a burrito that was sitting out, and rather than blame the dog and get upset with the dog, she knew that there were things that she could have done to prevent that from happening in the first place. So she put it on herself. That way she could control the situation the next time something like that might potentially occur again and that to me is so simple but amazing just that she could quickly snap into that mindset and not say oh the world is against me today how unfair this is that's that's something that I uh, you know would hope to make more a part of my day to day thought process as well I think I had another thought, but you look like you have a thought. So I'll see what my thought was as you are explaining to us what your thought is. So I'm going to switch modes on this one just ever so slightly and talk about how I judge events. Okay. Um, so events, one of it, big judgments is the lineup. Do they have um, instructors there that I want to see? Because obviously I'm paying money to learn from them and I want to see them, that is important to me. Um, Whether I've been there before or not um, is kind of irrelevant at this point because there's been some that I've been back to that have been fantastic and some that I've been back to that haven't quite lived up to the first-time experience. So I kind of just look at more along the lines of if I think I'm going to have fun at this next event. Um, uh, financial accessibility. Sometimes flying to the East Coast is really expensive. Unfortunately for us, a lot of events don't happen on the West Coast. So East Coast folks don't quite understand, but I'm sure they can assume as much. Um, So sometimes, unfortunately... When it's just a little bit out of my price range, I have to sacrifice that. Um, another thing that I kind of look for is, and it's not always the same decision either, is late night dancing. Sometimes I don't want to do late night dancing. And so I want something that's small and ends at before midnight or something like that. And other times I want something that is going to be I'm walking out of the ballrooms because they have to clean the floors before they open up for the first workshop of the day. Um, that's another thing that I'll, I'll judge as to what I want to do and why I want to go to that event. Um, sometimes size is another thing I judge. Like, for instance, the difference between Vegas and Palm Springs is drastic. Um, I love the amount of people that you get to meet and the craziness that has ensued at Vegas in the sense of like there's just so much going on and there's so much for everyone at all times. Like it's a really cool, neat feature. I love the lobby room. I think that's a fantastic idea. 
And yet sometimes I really just want that small, intimate, um, not a whole lot of um, stimulation that some place like Palm Springs would give me. Um, I do feel that I can have more intimate and long-term conversations at a place like Palm Springs because there isn't quite so much going on that everybody has to run from one room to the next for. Um, and sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes I want that stimulation that is going to keep me on my toes. Um, so those are some of the things that I do look for. Some of the other things once I'm there, I like to kind of just gauge for myself is how much pride and effort they put into the theme slash decorations. Um, it's interesting to walk into a ballroom with nothing on the walls and then the next night walk in and everything is just covered in stuff. Um, it certainly shows a difference to me. Um, even just the different colored balloons and banners at Vegas, I liked. I enjoyed just that extra little something that they, it, they cared enough to make this more friendly and welcoming and fun as opposed to here's a ballroom, now take some lessons, thanks for your money, uh, see you next year. You know, um, I enjoy um, when people show a pride in what they're doing as like event managers and whatnot. Um, I do think it makes a difference um, in everybody's experience when all the rooms have decorations and all the rooms have just that little something that makes each individual person feel welcome no matter which room they're in. Whether it's the beginner, the all requests, the, you know... Um, morning workshop, the two-step room, the main ballroom. It doesn't really matter if there's some attention spent to all of those. I think that's really important. And for me, I do certainly make that kind of judgment call of, like, do they care about everyone? Um, When it comes to dances, um, most importantly, does the music catch me in any way, shape, or form? Is it something that, like, I can't sit still from? Is it something that touches me, you know, emotionally? Is it something that is, like, really just kind of eerie, kind of, like, worm in the back of your head, just kind of gets in there and stays there so it's stuck in your head? Is it something that I'm going to enjoy that way? Um, Then, looking at the dance, does it hit well? Is there movement in there that's unique but also doable and accessible? Um... I look for fun footwork on a couple things. Um, most people call that some type of hook, but it's not always necessarily the hook that grabs me. Um, there are certain things that I judge that way. Um, then when looking at it, I'll also look at the idea of like, is this something I can bring back? Is this something for me? And that's kind of how I judge that. Um, now, this one's a little bit of a, a touchy subject, so I will try and keep this as friendly as possible. Instructors. I judge instructors by their professionalism, their knowledge. Um, I do appreciate, honestly, when little mistakes happen, and I judge how they recover. Like, I will take another lesson from someone who laughs off their mistake more likely than I would take someone who gets mad and then like kind of kills the fun of the the lesson. Yeah, like when they get defensive. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, I like people who seem to know what they're doing. I don't mind when, um, like, you're in, in a regular class and you're using a step sheet, but I prefer not to teach off of a step sheet. I like I like to present myself in a way of, I know this dance, so thank you for trusting me and teaching you. Um, I like the instructors that laugh and make jokes um, and keep things lighthearted, even if it's a serious dance. I love instructors that use certain sound effects. I think it really does help. Um, and people that, instructors that like really encourage their students to keep going, but not in a, you're all failing, so let's do this one more time, because I know you can get it. More of a, yeah, that's it. Let's keep going, you know. Um, I know... I mean, obviously, like, Joe and Rachel have been doing this for so long that they're, like, perfect examples of some of the things that I wish to learn and emulate for myself. Um, But another person I just love watching teach absolutely is Fred. I love watching Fred Whitehouse teach because he has enough fun, he's enough serious, and he really knows how to exude a confidence that people want to trust. Um, he's very charismatic and charming in how he talks and how he wants to have a little bit of fun, but not at the expense of anybody. Um, and that's something, like, as an instructor, I really, really admire. And so I'd say, like, even though it's a judge- uh, positive judgment, it's still a judgment. Um, another thing I look at is... Um, which dances they bring in. I do. Um, sometimes it, it, you can make a mistake as, as an instructor and think, this dance is going to go over really, really well, and then it doesn't. Been there, done that. Um, but it's how, again, how many dances that happens with, um, as well as which dances they choose to enforce. Because something I know we've learned recently is that an instructor really has the ability to make a dance pretty much stick if they teach it every single week. Um, you kind of like, after a while, you just kind of get used to it and then, oh yeah, that's the dance I know and dance I do, you know. Um, but the instructor that like pays attention to what the class is responding to and what they're struggling with um, and stuff like that, like I think that's a really important trait. Um, I do appreciate the instructors that kind of watch their classes as opposed to my back is to them the whole time. So I'm just going to kind of keep going. Um, I like the ones that are willing to, you know, go to the different walls and really walk around and help people when they, you know, change. Because sometimes it gets tricky when you're teaching more than, you know, two rows, three rows. Um, So someone who's willing to, you know, walk around and switch rows and stuff like that. I think that's, that's really an important trait, too. So those are just some of the topics. Uh, Yeah, one thing that came up in my mind for a lot of the ones that you were saying uh, is for whom is this intended to benefit and is that communicated clearly? And that applies to DJs, instructors, event managers, choreographers, and even dancers. And it's, it's something that I will think about and it'll give me some kind of internal reaction. Like if a DJ 
says, no, I'm just playing what I want to hear uh, versus you know playing requests or seeing you know what would be best for the dancers, trying to gauge their flow, see if they're having their ups and downs, getting time to relax, hitting all the corners of the room. Um, or if they're just like, nah, I'm done. I'm sick of it. I'm just going to play music I want to listen to if you know the dance, great. <laughs> um, you know, who is it intended to benefit? The instructor, are they up there just to have a good time and aren't, like you say, you know, aren't really even watching whether the students are learning anything? Are they just there to collect a check at the end of the night? Uh, or are they really checking in, watching to be sure that at least 80 or 90% of their students are kind of there getting it? Uh, following along, uh, not rushing them, speaking in ways that you know, may connect with some people and uh, more effectively than others, and then switching it up so that other people can benefit as well. Uh, are they just there to hear the sound of their own voice? <laughs> um, and then choreographers, like, is this dance just for them to do at home and, you know, they're putting the sheet out because why not? Um, or are they thinking about the people who will actually dance this? Are, are they thinking there is an audience, there's a specific audience that I have in mind, and I think they would really get a blast, uh, you know, have a blast doing this dance. Um, I'm going to craft some things to, to really hit what they're going to get excited about. Uh, event managers, is this you know your birthday bash, and you just want to invite all your friends over and have a good time, and not worry about the little things? and certain um, groups of people who might be you know, disenfranchised by your choices, or is it for everyone, all levels? Um, if you And again, is it communicated clearly? It's okay to have a birthday bash. It's okay to play your top 10 favorite songs at the end of the night. It's okay to have a dance that's just for you and enough for your friends were like, well, we'll just release it already. And you're like, okay, fine, but I don't really care if anyone learns it. I don't intend to teach it. Uh, and it's okay to instruct just to kind of, you know, show them what it is and be done because maybe somebody said, hey, can you show me this dance? And two other people are like, yeah, yeah, I never learned that one either. But if you don't, if you don't want, if you're not an instructor, if you don't want to teach and you just want to kind of get up, make sure they have it and leave, that's fine too. Maybe, you know, if that's not your professional responsibility, then uh, communicate it clearly. Make sure that the people who are receiving whatever the service is from any of those people who have that function know what they're getting into. And the reason I said that it applies to dancers as well is because I, I, mean, I notice if a person looks like they're dancing because it's a personal expression and they're getting into it and they don't care who's watching, all that stuff, or if a person is really hoping that that one person on that side of the room sees them do this cool thing that they can do, you know, it's something I notice. I'm not saying necessarily that... Uh, I will decide that they are a kind of person because they care who's watching, but I, I definitely notice if that's the case versus something else. Uh, I will notice if they're in their own head, if they're just kind of going through the motions, if they're texting, I'll definitely notice. Um, and then the other two things that came to mind were problems and people. So with problems how do people talk about problems? I've heard that if you go to your boss with a problem, you should always have at least one solution. Don't just go to complain. Nobody likes a complainer. Uh, if you do it enough times, people will stop listening. 
So if you are the kind of person who just vents about everything, but you don't say what you think the solution is, or, well, it's okay, soon this won't be a problem anymore, because this, I think, is going to change, I'm going to do this, this is my plan of action, and thank you for listening, that's fine. But problems without solutions are tedious to listen to. And then the other thing was people. Uh, There's a saying... Small minds talk about people, average minds talk about things, great minds talk about ideas. And I think people who gossip, just to gossip, make one wonder, are they going to do that about me when I leave the room? So I definitely take into consideration uh, when I'm hearing a person talk about specific people who are doing specific things that they wouldn't say to their face. If they're relaying something that happened earlier in the day and then all of a sudden the person walks in, like, well, yeah, this is what happened earlier in the day. I could repeat all of this and it's still factual statements. Then that's that's something else. But if they are just you know, telling you, oh, I suspect this because I heard this, like, that doesn't help anyone. Uh, if it's, well, I think you, you even described it before as, like, if it's not intended to help the person, like, let's say you think somebody's significant other is cheating and you want to spare your friend the hurt from all of that, uh, then that might be something to find a way to discuss so that your friend doesn't get hurt. But if it's just, oh, I think this person's cheating on this other person and it doesn't affect our lives at all, well, then talking to the unaffected person is just trying to spice things up and cause a lot of problems make people judge people unfairly so that's something to consider that's something that i consider in this question how do you judge a person um you know how do they treat people when they're not around all right well that's a lot on that question number 50 if someone narrated your life who would you want to be the narrator rachel go ahead i was gonna say samuel jackson but yeah rachel works too (laughs) i just love her accent i would listen to her read the phone book uh, I think I would I would actually feel very comforted if Joe uh, narrated my life as well because I feel like that would be a very like bedtime story feel like everything was okay on that day because Joe was reading it but if it was everything that I do in my life I don't I think I'd want someone a little more impartial maybe like Morgan Freeman or something or Zafrank the guy who sounds like Morgan Freeman in his True Facts YouTube videos. Oh, I was just thinking about some of that. Um, yeah, say I love Rachel's voice. I love uh, Fred's voice. So that would be another one. I like me some accents. What can I say? Um, but you bring up a good point about the whole, if it's going to be like every little detail of my life, I definitely would feel rather exposed and embarrassed if Joe was to be reading everything from my life. I, I, I wouldn't feel quite so proud of some of those moments. Now, if it was everything in my life in the last two years, that's a little bit different. <laughs> Most of what I've done in the last two years, I'm, I'm quite proud of. So, um, yeah, that's a tricky one. Madison or Simon might be interesting. I feel like Simon would have a lot of footnotes and commentary. <laughs> and you wouldn't be getting the full Simon experience unless you got the footnotes and commentary. Right? Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking about that. 
I was definitely thinking the whole idea of like what he would have to say about the different segments of narration. <laughs> I feel like he wouldn't judge. You know, he would he would understand why you make some of the choices that you make or have made and he'd be like, "Oh, Megan." <laughs> Well, or at least in his judgment, he would make it still very accepting and be like, well, and then she did this stupid thing again. (laughs) (laughs) Figures. But, you know. (laughs) But that's why we love her. That's a terrible Australian accent. Okay. (laughs) Wow. I think I used to be better at those. Uh, Number 51. What was the most unsettling film you've seen? Might be Kids. If you've ever seen the movie Kids... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, um, and I think I don't. I don't know. If, I, I'm pretty sure I haven't actually watched it all the way through. But there's a movie called Funny Games, and I've watched so many clips from it. I feel like I've seen it, and there's not really a happy ending to that. It's just bad, bad things happening to people who don't deserve it and no comeuppance. Um, not to, I mean it's not really spoilers if uh, if you well don't don't watch it. <laughs> it it's just dark uh, and there was another one of oh, what was it the, the 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 one where people were wearing like lamb masks and um, they're like killing everybody in the house oh you know what I'm gonna look it up uh, if, if you're able to Oh no! It wasn't the the purge, but that's pretty bad as well. I can probably find which one it, it is. Um, I don't know. That's a tricky one. I don't know what film is like so unsettling that it's really stuck with me as like that is an unsettling film, so much as a lot of films I like to take into like. A question of like, well, what if this really did happen in my time? And then that could get a little dark. So. Oh, uh, the one I was thinking of was your next. That's pretty, pretty rough. Pretty rough. Yeah, I avoid most horror thriller style movies, which is really interesting because crime scene drama TV shows are like my guilty pleasure. So I don't know. I think the one that's caused me the most emotional distress over the years was Halloween. Like, the Halloween series. I was fascinated by it in, like, middle school. And I would start to see or, like, imagine Michael Myers standing outside of windows. And while I watched the films, it was always okay because he's in the screen. Like, it's fine. He's controlled. You can turn it off. But as soon as you turn it off, it feels like he's everywhere. So I eventually didn't have a problem with that anymore. But at the time, my poor little brain hadn't finished congealing yet. So it uh, made more of an impression then. See, that that one, like the one that scarred me the most would be arachnophobia for sure. Can't handle that film at all. Um, Scarred me for life. Um, Unsettling. There's a couple different ones that kind of like when you really think about it can be quite unsettling of what the like consequences if it really happened nowadays would entail and of course they're like one of my favorite movie series ever 
and that would be Jurassic Park. Like, it's really unsettling to think that, like, you can create a dinosaur. And, like, what, especially with the last two new ones and them actually creating a new dinosaur, like, what the repercussions could be if we weaponized it or something like that. Like, definitely, um, it's one of those that's a little unsettling when you think about the debate that would occur with the what is our responsibility and where do we draw the line on what's acceptable yeah I think the ones the ones that bother me the most are like the ones with moral questions especially if nothing bad happens to the people whose moral outlook is different from yours and is very um, anti-human like I remember Oh, uh, the pianist and children of men were both so violent to people, again, without consequence, because it was the powerful people who could kill indiscriminately, and the little people couldn't do anything about it. And it was always so brutal, too. And uh, Schindler's List had a character like that as well, uh, where... If he just decided casually, oh, I'm going to shoot that guy in the head, no one's going to do anything about it. And that's the end of that person's life forever. And it's, it gives me like nightmares to think about just being treated like that in some violent scenario like a, you know, a bank robbery or something where someone arbitrarily can decide that's it for you. Your journey is over and they never know your name. Yeah, it's probably why I actually enjoy all the crime scene drama TV shows because they almost always catch the guy. So, like, that consequence of, like, no, no, it's okay. You're safe now because, see, they, they got that person and that person went to jail and there was a consequence for their action and, yeah. And I guess this can kind of take me full circle back around to the line dance world, uh, even though it's more really based on a, a, a true event. The thing that most affected me... Um, back when a lot of these shootings weren't as common was, uh, was the shooting in France at a nightclub. That was one of the earlier ones in this era of shootings. And that one made me feel like that could have been me at Stoney's or just you know anywhere, anywhere where dancing is held because all of those people were random. Like, they, they, they weren't assassinating individual people. It was just get in, kill as many people as you can, and again, that's it. That is the end of their story when all they wanted to do was go out for a night of dancing. And then it happens in Orlando. And then it happens at Route 91. Like, our country people, you know? Like, we even know people from from Sonoma County who were affected, but who were, like, at the event. So, that's where, you know, the unsettling started to happen for me was the, the shooting in France at that nightclub because then I did feel less safe in line dance where I've always felt safe. Like you go into the ballroom and it's like this other world and people aren't allowed in there. They're watching wristbands to make sure. And then that brings me to whoever's stuff was lifted that at that one event. Yeah. Sue. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that just never happened or at least I never heard about it at previous events. So it was, it seemed untouchable until that happened. And then that gave me that unsettled feeling of, like, who would do this? We were always safe here before. Yeah. Yeah. 
Hopefully this next one will be happier. Let's see what number 52 is. What unethical experiment would have the biggest positive impact on society as a whole? And I wonder if it would be cloning, like we were talking about with Jurassic Park, because you can get a lot of spare parts that way. Yeah, definitely. I would, I would say it would definitely have a positive impact, but also potentially a very dangerous impact. I think the only way that you could kind of get away with it is if you grew them without a lot of conscious brain activity and you kept them in a vegetative state. So they wouldn't really be losing anything because they were never intended to have a full life as a member of society. So it's not like you wake them up and then they feel suffering and fear as they go back under. You just never wake them up. If you can somehow ensure that they are having no internal experience of life without... um, without causing their organs to fail, which is then what's the point. Um, if you're able to do that, then in theory, they should be a farmable source of organs for you know, keeping a person alive indefinitely. But that's, that's still a little suspect. A uh, lot suspect, but yes. Uh, oh, go ahead. Uh, also, I guess related to that would be anything that, you know, Helps cure diseases by inflicting diseases upon people. That would be uh, not a kind thing to do. Okie dokie. We are going to take a short break. And when we return, hopefully we won't have any questions about unethical experiments. I actually do not know what the next question is. And I'm going to keep us all in suspense until we get to it. Looking at our list of music for playing, I think we'll go with this Maroon 5 track, Payphone. This is the non-rap version, um, as we just recently were going over today, uh, another track by Maroon 5 that hopefully we'll have a dance out published for in maybe the next couple weeks. We'll see. But until then, here is the track for Guyton Mundy's Fairy Tales and Love Songs, Whatever. And the song is Payphone, Radio Edit, non-rap version. All right. And we are back. Online Dance Podcast on Move Radio with Christopher Gonzalez and... Megan Barcelia. And we are continuing this list of 350 good questions to ask. Coming to number 53, we're going to tie this into Line Dance somehow. When was the last time you were snooping? And found something you wish you hadn't. Yikes. Does that, does that relate to line dance for you at all? Not really. I I don't think either of us are snoopers. We kind of stay in our own lane. Yeah, pretty much. Just in general. I, I wouldn't even know like where to begin to even like fabricate an answer for that. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I'm trying to think like what is even at a place that has line dance. You have... The dance floor room, you have the hallways, but you're not really snooping if you're in a hallway. Uh, I stick to my own hotel room at the end of the night, so I wouldn't be anywhere else. I guess the closest I can say is um, ruining a performance. So, like, if you hung around 
afterwards and in between when the like the ballroom is supposed to be closed for rehearsals if you kind of like peeked in it could ruin the surprise that's like the closest i could really think of of what like a line dancer would call snooping and like wish they hadn't because i really don't think there's anything else and if there is let me remain ignorant i'm i'm very much comfortable with that decision yeah uh the closest thing i can think of was at one event where there was a technical malfunction and one of the members of the staff became upset about the technical malfunction. We all moved over into the other room uh, where everything was working fine and I had a question to ask uh, one of the people who was involved in a very heated conversation with one of the other members of the staff. So I was just kind of standing by waiting to ask my question and they were going at it very um, angrily <laughs> at each other. And I was uncomfortable in that situation because I felt like there was no easy way to just like walk out of that at any point. Because then it would almost seem like it was a response to something that somebody had said that was causing me. So like the longer I stayed, the more awkward it was. But eventually, I was able to ask my question and go over to the other room. But that that was weird. Uh, also, I had my GoPro with me at the time for that event. So before I went to the other room, one of the people said, "Oh, please tell me that was not on." And I was like, "No, no, no! It was it was completely deactivated." Um, but like, it it was weird because it felt like I wasn't supposed to be there and I didn't want to be there I wanted to be like anywhere else um but you know I, I had the, I had my questions so I was like what do I do gotta awkwardly just hang out while this conversation is happening among these people hopefully you know they'll sort it out in the next 15 minutes or so while I stand here yeah alright number 54 which celebrity or band has the worst fan base wow that's a negative question that is a negative question Worst fan base. Any... Okay, I'm just going to generalize. Any celebrity or band that leaves trash everywhere after they leave. So, if it's, you know, an outdoor kind of like concert at the park kind of uh, deal, and people go, they have a good time, and they leave everything there, they leave it all on the beach, they throw stuff in the river, whatever it is, that... That's no bueno, and I don't like that. Uh, I've seen it actually happen before. So any of those people, any of those celebrities or bands, I, mean, I hope they would encourage their fan base to clean up after themselves. And if I were to try to tie it into line dance, maybe you know tell the folks to clean up the, their stuff at the end of the night so the night crew doesn't have to do it all. Um, I have seen some events get a little party-heavy, toward the end and people leave their shot their plastic shot glasses and cans of beer and paraphernalia of various kinds just like hanging out so that would be nice to see tidied up Um, but i don't think that there is anyone i would be comfortable pointing a bony finger at and saying like oh you have the worst dancers tell them not to do those things yeah i mean this is all I guess more hypothetical than anything else because I have not actually experienced this firsthand. But I would I would have to say any say like group of people that don't share the dance floor or um, 
are very disrespectful of the idea that, you know, other people are there to dance as well and they have their requests. Again, very hypothetical because I've not actually run into many of these kind of people that I could say like, oh, it's this celebrity or, you know, band, so to say, um, their fan base. It's just kind of just maybe just groups of people that have their own um, dynamic. There has been one DJ um, who DJed at an event we attended within the last year. Not, not a circuit event, not like a bar thing. But that crowd, I think, was expecting something different from what was provided by every other DJ there. And I know I wasn't expecting that. Um, it definitely changed the dynamic of the floor. I, I mean, for all the other DJs, whatever they would play, I would, you know, see what I could dance to it. If it was a dance everyone else knew, great. If it wasn't, I could dance something on the side. But that that one celebrity DJ uh, didn't really have what I, I thought was like a line dance focus. Um, so the crowd was not really encouraging or participatory uh, in, um, or encouraging of or participatory in line dance for the session that that DJ had authority. So we just kind of waited that one out. Um, and, you know, there were no kerfluffles among us and everyone on the floor because we just weren't in there. So it was okay. Yeah. That was certainly not a, um, a message that I was endorsing. So, yes, when you brought that up, that is true. Um, but, again, I don't know if that was so much the fan base because it was the same fans that... We were able to do regular line dance focus for, so it's really hard to say fan base. I think it was just the environment that that particular individual created. It was a little hard to recover, but we did indeed recover. So there's that. Um, I can say that um, I think most people who are fans of Joe are fantastic. I can say that much. Because anybody who respects a woman like Joe has to have some admirable qualities about them, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm ready for the next question. I really don't like this one. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. The negative focus is not my favorite. Number 55. What are you interested in that most people aren't? Line dance in space. I say line dance in general. Yes. <laughs> um, that's a tough one. I would have to say... I'm interested in, in if you're going um, line dance specific. Um, in the solo line competition in the U.S., there's not a whole lot of people that are apparently very interested in that right now. Um, a lot of in the two-step and a lot of West Coast swing and, and that kind of competition um, and the waltzes and the partner dances, but not quite so many on the solo dances. That's okay. Um some things I'm extremely interested in that a lot of people I know are not is instructing for line dance. Um, I know some people who kind of do it because they have to. And I know some people who do it because they were kind of the only option at the time, but now they at least enjoy it. Um, and I know some people who won't touch it with a 10-foot pole. So um, I know there's a lot of people who are interested in dancing 
and like at least intrigued with the notion of what an instructor would be but like genuinely interested and how to figure out how to make themselves a better instructor and um how to figure out like what kind of practice and prepping for lessons and whatnot goes into it um i really don't think people are quite as interested in that um i would actually as as interesting as it sounds because a lot of people are listening to this so that the people who are listening to this are definitely interested but just in line dance in general, everyday life, like how everything relates to line dance. Like a lot of people are not as interested in line dance the way you and I are. Like to say obsession is putting a negative connotation on it, but it is borderline quite um, consuming um, in our daily thoughts. So um, it is something that we are very passionate about and very much um, enjoy and want to figure out how to make better in any possible capacity. Um, So I would definitely have to say just in general line dance and how it relates to your everyday life um, is a little bit more unique. And definitely to top it off, like you said, line dance in space. All right, I'm going to bookmark these because I have a lot. History, classics, bridging the gap, beginner dances... kind of just this would be a short one but line dance like you said as a metaphor for so many different things like how to get along with people with different political views oh yeah just don't talk about them dance instead <laughs> there there are a lot of a lot of things that line dance can do to to um help you conceptualize ways of being outside of the dance floor so you said history, yes yes uh so i'll start with history um history classics bridging the gap and beginner dances okay. with history we i mean we have stacks of old dance newsletters and and flyers and things we keep so much we write down dances that are done at different places we keep all the workshop schedules and we really want to get caught up to where we are now as we're continuing to go forward it's not like you know stop everything we're going to learn everything before we can do anything going forward but you know we're trying to keep a parallel track of what are classics in different places why are they that way in the UK versus Australia versus the California Bay Area? Um, and which ones should we learn? Which ones should we spread? Beginner dances, I say, because in the main ballroom, the main focus of most events, beginner dances aren't really the thing. It's the smaller side room where we recently have been discovering uh, interesting dances to bring home. So in that sense, we're kind of in the minority of the overall event. And because most events are like that, the overall event scene. Uh, So we are event-interested people who also want to do beginner-friendly dances for our people. And that comes to bridging the gap. Uh, Some folks are also okay just with you know beginner to high beginner dances in their local country bar where they teach and they have no interest in the events and that's fine Um, we are staying kind of in both worlds like we haven't moved from one to the other it's more moved in uh, from one into the other and back and then back the other way and we just kind of straddle both lines because we've never really left one for the other um, we still have Twin Oaks and, and Hot Monk every week, and those those tend to go up to like high beginner, low improver maybe. 
Uh, we don't really teach much more than that. We don't do half-hour lessons if we can help it. Uh, I still have my senior group. We teach at the university and do, you know, maybe some 64-count two-wall dances, intermediate. Um, and then we're also, you know, in these classes for very complicated dances at, at uh, events, as well as, you know, cute beginner dances that we think would be worth learning. Or like soul line dance. What was that, you know? Just being exposed to something new and um, really just trying to take in everything. A lot of people have their focus, their niche, where they want to learn things. Some people know a whole bunch of intermediate things and they'll go to a social that's like a mixer for intermediates and beginners and they won't know a lot of the beginner dances because they came out after they became intermediate so they never stepped backward to like look at the old beginner side of things anymore and they don't want to learn them anymore. They just want to do intermediate now. We still want to learn everything. Um, and I think that is that is unusual. Um, also, lately, I have been kind of interested in this idea of just choreographing for me. Uh, so, kind of solving the puzzle of a song. Listening to it, seeing what can be danced to it, what feels comfortable. And if I solve the puzzle and I think, okay, well... Yeah, that's it, I think. If anyone else comes out with something for this, I'm not really going to be worried about it. Um, theirs is probably fine. <laughs> then I just leave it at that, and I'll just dance it to myself if I ever feel like it. If it's something that I really think should be shared because a lot of other people will also like it, then I might do that. But I'm, I'm kind of getting into this idea that it doesn't have to be for anything. I don't need to generate something for an event that I'm going to teach at uh, I don't need to keep my name relevant or any of those things that people might worry about so they have to produce and produce and produce. I'm okay producing and just enjoying the process. I think that's something that um, Michael and I both kind of shared the sentiment of with something that we were looking at in the last month was the, uh, the idea that the process alone can be fun and rewarding. Whether or not it ends up the way you thought it would at the beginning of hearing the track is, uh, you know, a separate matter. You know, you can still, you can still just kind of savor the journey, which is yet again, you know, line dance as a, as a metaphor, something that can uh, apply to the rest of your life. You know, just doing the dance and enjoying it, not worrying about consequences, where it's going to be done, implications. I mean, I'm probably going to teach something tonight called uh, Hold My Beer. I've never seen Danced Anywhere, and I've only seen, like, I think maybe one demo of, but I like the song, so I'm going to teach it because I want to dance it tonight, and I don't want to be the only one dancing it. I might be if that's if that's what happens. Maybe everyone will decide, nah, we took the lesson and not into it, and I'll just dance it alone, and that's fine. But uh, did I sit? I taught it a hot monk? Did I? Incredible. Oh, yeah, because I remember there was a restart in there. Well, this will be a first time for Twin Oaks. Okay, is there anything else that you can think of that you're interested in that most people aren't as it pertains to line dance? See, I wanted to build on the idea of what you were speaking about when you are talking about, like, straddling the line and, like, leaving one world for the other or not. Um, we are definitely still, even though we are interested in all of these huge circuit events and traveling all over the world, including like Europe and Australia, and finding the different cultures and how they res they respond to line dances. 
um, and like what things they bring in that's unique to them and their groups. Um, another thing we're really, really interested in is maintaining the uh, bar culture too. We still want to try and go to different venues that we've never been to before because we want to see what they do at their local pub or bar or whatever case may be that keeps their um, their lifeline going and their sh- their atmosphere and like what it is about them um, that you know is different from what we do here, which is different from SoCal, which is different from Reno and. And um, I think with the bridging of the gap part of it, too, is we're trying to also see, like, what we can learn from each other. So, like, if there's something that we can offer them and they can offer us, like, I would love to have more of that crossover dynamic. For me, it's the flair and the shouts. What flair is popular in an area to the point where it becomes an entirely different dance? Cha-cha caliente, I like it loud. Um, And what is shouted at some places during some parts like Copperhead Road um, in in a, like an Army-Navy area where they'll say something about the Army or the Navy or the Marines or whatever base is near that place, like Temecula Stampede. They'll shout things about you know whatever's there, and they'll have kind of their friendly rivalry. Um, in other places, it's not relevant at all, so they won't shout stuff about that. They'll do the happy birthday, happy birthday, uh, during you know the part where he says, yeah, on my birthday, happy birthday. Like, like That's the kind of thing that some places do and some places don't. Stoney's has a whole speech for watermelon crawl, and um, some places do political things for God Bless Texas. Some places do baseball things for God Bless Texas. You know, it... it uh, it all depends, and I, I really like seeing what what is local, what is specific to places. All right. We've got about 20 minutes left to see how many more questions we've got. Number 56 of 350. If you were given a Ph.D. degree but had no more knowledge of the subject of the degree besides what you have now, what degree would you want to be given to you? Oh, Maybe philosophy, because I could fake my way through. I mean, just take my bachelor's and expand upon it and tell, oh, oh I've forgotten so much. It was, it was how, four, 10 years ago. Oh, yeah, that PhD, gosh, it sure seemed hard at the time, but now it's almost like I don't even have it. That's probably the easiest one for me to fake. Um, if I had no more knowledge of the subject and I just had the degree, yeah. Uh, or maybe like communications or something that, you know, I kind of feel naturally comes to me with practice and theater. And um, I could say I have a degree in that. I don't know. What would yours be? I'd probably say something along the lines of psychology. But I'd probably be more specific and say like behavior. I tend to be a very observant people watcher kind of thing. It's like I have a little bit of knowledge in my psychology because of the classes I've taken in the past. Heaven only knows how long ago that was. Um, and yet I've also had a lot of practice of like certain behaviors that people do and like why they would do that. Like there's a lot of things that make sense to me as 
perfect example, like the little, little information that I know about, say, your childhood and one or two experiences you had then could very easily translate to why you have a certain behavior now. Um, It's one of those things that like it just makes sense to me, even though there's a year uh, years and years of bridging the, that gap that really realistically could be the actual contributing factor but for whatever reason I can see why you know little Johnny at age X you know had this happen so that's why he reacts now at this age to this thing or why he you know says what he says or does what he does or whatever some type of behaviorist um, it just logically makes sense to me so I would I've probably have to say something around the behavior subject um, uh, I, question, well, just a follow-up question for you. Uh, since PhD tends to imply that you've done a dissertation, what what would people believe you've done a dissertation on? Absolutely nothing. Um, <laughs> I'm not even going to pretend to know what people would believe I did a dissertation on. Um, yeah, that that would take a whole lot more thought process to really plan out and like assess my relationships with them and what they would believe um i say other than like human behavior i'd have to say animal behavior like i've done enough studies with animals too to kind of be able to do that so i would have to say something with behavior and that kind of field i might accept a very basic and I'd probably feel a little guilty about it, uh, PhD on line dance, just from having done original research and kept documentation on several years' worth of uh, venue road trips and uh, events and competitions. Kind of run the spectrum. Yeah, see, I wouldn't feel as comfortable. Because uh, like behavior, it's such a broad thing, and it's psychology, so it's kind of like what your opinion is. It's not true fact, like, you will do this because this happened. It's just like there's a there's a, like a 90% chance that this could happen because of this action or whatever. Whereas, like, I feel like something like in the line dance world, it's such more a matter of a fact and, like, history. And, like, I look at other people and be like, there's so much knowledge that they have that I can't even touch. It's a fun challenge for me when people say a dance name and I'm like, Jenny Kane, Shirley K. Batson, uh, that song is by Eddie Raven. You know, just like being able to name things. And it'd be nice to have, you know, a degree to show that. I can definitely say when I was working at the movie and music store, a PhD in some type of movie <laughs> music study, I could have very easily convinced people I had. And, and one of those situations where you just were able to connect where people are like so I'm looking for that one movie with the guy and he has um I think there's like this one conversation he's having with his mom and I'd be like oh yeah this movie right here and they're like how did you do that <laughs> so yeah all right number 57 what smartphone feature would you actually be excited for a company to implement okay smartphone feature this is more of like an app thing, and I've ranted about this before, but if you could record video of a line dance being done and identify what it is and have the step sheet, all that good stuff just delivered to you, I think that would be amazing. You could learn so much about the line dance world all over, and 
it would all be automated because you figure, and my justification for this is that Snapchat and Instagram, they can identify a face and put a filter on it. And when you move, it moves. So if you can get a program to identify a face and facial features and adapt to that, in theory, it seems that you could do the same with a human body and identify patterns in movement. So if a, s- a certain pattern is repeated enough times, it can rule out, oh yeah, vine right, vine left, that has to be electric slide. No, 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 because now something else happens after the vine right and vine left that differentiates it from electric slide. The number of possible dances it could be has gone down. So eventually, with enough repetitions and enough recorded data, just like record, you know, getting Shazam to identify a song, um, you, know, you could, in theory, have the body tracker see what movement patterns are in that dance to make it specifically a given dance by a choreographer released at a certain date and all the other stuff you would need to know to learn it at home. I would love to see that if a smartphone company made that happen maybe they would have to put in some additional tech for like 3d capture like a connect camera or something like that but i i would i I know i would use that plenty also this would be more a little app thing but just a a dance suggester for uh when a song is playing could be a live band could be whatever's the coffee shop it picks up the song it checks to see if there are any like absolute beginner. I mean, you could say like, uh, give me an absolute beginner dance for this song, and then it'll see are there any already. If there aren't any already, um, do you want it to draw from the ones you already know? Well, then it'll provide the most uh, specific suggestion to hitting certain things in the song. Uh, and if that doesn't apply either, if you know absolutely nothing, maybe it'll just choreograph something for you on the fly with three different concepts, like a walk, 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 kick, a back, 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 touch, vine, right, vine, left, V steps. I don't know. I'm describing rocket to the sun right now, I think. But anyway, uh, what, what would your smartphone feature be? I don't know. That's a little bit tricky because I use so few of my actual smartphone (laughs) features. Let's be honest. Nowadays, I don't know what we don't know what half our phones are capable of doing. Um, one of the things that I do have to say, I I like the idea of, it was like you said, like the filming of a dance and being able to be like, here's the step sheet for that particular dance. Um, I certainly do like that idea. Um, one of the things that I think I would be excited about as weird as this sounds Um, because I've run into so many problems with this over the last couple weeks with choreography, is being able to play music on my phone and film at the same time. My phone will not do that. It doesn't matter what app I use or anything like that. The second I go into camera mode, it turns off all of the other stuff that's going on in my phone. Um, Because some of the other things that I really enjoy about my smartphone, like I love the fingers... Uh, the fingerprint sensor so I don't have to log into every single thing that's on my phone account wise Um, I set it up so that I logged my finger in my phone and then I just linked that app with um, my particular logins that I'm like okay that's fine I don't care if a fingerprint opens that Um, another thing that I actually really really enjoy on my particular phone is um, 
I do like the idea of like the the heart rate monitor and that kind of stuff. I think that's cool. Um, I'm trying to think of what else there would be. Uh, I have one that would be very relevant for you, which would be a technique corrector. If you're a solo line competitor, for example, and you have that 3D kind of camera that can see your movement, your body movement, if it knows, if it has a template for what you are aiming for, and if it knows what proper technique for your body should look like, then as you are dancing it, it could give you either a really mean feedback like eh, or something like that, or it could say, oh, watch your feet or extend your finger a little more, things like that, just to kind of get you um, into a certain frame as you are dancing it. That would be really sophisticated. I would enjoy that. Yeah, I think that would be very helpful for a lot of people. Um, I'm trying to think, because there's, like, so many things that, like, I already love about my phone. Like, some of the things I love about my phone is um, the picture capability. I love that we all walk around with cameras, Nowadays, I think that's a great idea. I think it's a wonderful idea to be able to just snap a photo real quick. Um, yes, some people say like the whole selfie thing has gotten out of control or whatever, but I think it's I think it's really good to have that kind of um, self image of yourself. Like I think it's it, I think it's really important to have that pride in how you look and everything. So I think like having that camera. Um, to capture moments or just even, you know, a good hair day or whatever. I think that's a really good thing. Um, uh, related to that, there's a, a line in the song from Avenue Q, I wish I could go back to college, where he sadly says, I wish I had taken more pictures. Yeah, and then, like, the fact that we have the cloud drive thing nowadays, that it automatically can upload to the cloud drive, so it's there. Um, for someone who's lost every photo I can't even stress how important pictures are to me. And when someone's willing to take a picture for me, with me, for one, but when somebody wants to take a picture, it's that much more important for me um, to capture that moment. Um, I'm trying to think of what else smartphone-wise that I like really enjoy about my phone. Like, Obviously, I love the fact that it's able to play music. Um, I like that I can... Uh, Google search just about anything with my voice um, or I can type it in. I think that's really cool. Uh, one of my favorite things that um, I know specifically Samsung does because I have all Samsung products, um, they communicate with each other. So like if you are using Samsung phone and you switch to a Samsung tablet, it's like, do you want to leave off on this? Um, Spotify kind of does the same thing. Like when I switch between my phone and my laptop, um, it'll recognize, oh, yeah, you were listening to this song last or you're in the middle of this song. Did you want to keep playing it or stuff like that? Um, I think they've really streamlined that communication lately. That's really nice. Um, other than that, I mean, I guess I haven't thought about what feature a smartphone could have more so much as, like, what apps you can add to a smartphone. I think that's the little bit trickier part. This would also be related to the 3D capture camera. Um, but the first thing I was thinking was just something as simple as like a level for your dance floor when you're putting your dance floor together to see if it's level. Um, like one of those laser sites that we use to align the floor at Worlds. Uh, but then I was thinking, you know, 
if you were able to take a picture of something and have it represented in the camera on like 3D uh, grid, then you could, if the if the resolution were high enough, you could stand on one end of the room, get low, take a photo of the dance floor, and through like I don't know radar, sonar, echolocation, it could tell you where there are uneven ridges between panels on the dance floor. So you don't have to walk row by row and test all of them. It can just show you, yeah, this this shouldn't be this high. This is casting like a, a very small but you know noticeable to a dancer shadow and uh, you probably want to you know screw that down. So yeah, some kind of like 3D capture camera. So now I know there's apps that allow you to enter in the information, but I think having a phone that does a little bit more fitness health related stuff um which i guess it would be a little bit more along the lines of like the apps but like using what the smartphone can do is the idea of saying like oh you know i had an omelet with these ingredients in it um and then it calculates everything for you nutritional facts and all that kind of stuff i think that would be a good idea um besides just having the ones where you have to manually enter everything in um, stuff like that. Along with the fitness thing, uh, the idea of having your phone, if you keep it, let's say, in your back pocket or as a smartwatch, having your phone track what dances you did on a given night. And the way it would know that is it knows the movement pattern of a dance when it's in your back pocket. It's kind of like how your smartwatch can detect when you're in someone's car versus jogging. Like, there's a difference. So... Just keeping that on your person while you dance would pick up the sound of the song and identify, based on your movements, repeated every 32 counts, um, it, it would identify what you did, even if it's not to the normal song. Let's say you do you know, whatever version of a dance you know in this place, and you go somewhere else and you do a different version, or you do something completely different, it'll know that, because it can identify how you moved. That would be handy for then determining uh, when you aren't when somebody puts you on the spot says hey what what's your favorite dance what do you dance all the time what do you recommend and you're like I don't know. talk to my app you know my app will tell you what I love to do sometimes you forget and maybe it could even tell you what your emotional state was uh, you know depending on like you know blood pressure and arousal or whatever so that you could give uh, recommendations of even obscure ones that you only dance sometimes. Going back to the health and fitness and nutritional facts, it would be really cool if they can create a phone that allows you to do a quick little assessment of what you are missing. So like if you're if you haven't had enough potassium in the day or something like that, and that's why, you know, this particular thing is happening, like having something that explains that not just like, you know, your regular blood sugar monitor or heart rate monitor, but like actual like you are low in iron today, you are low in this today, or you are excessively high in this today. I think that would be kind of a cool feature, um, help people take a little bit better care of themselves and know like, you know, why they are maybe lethargic that day. And then because the phone knows that you're low in those and they could recommend particular items that you can actually eat that would re-supplement that and actually, you know, like base level you out again. 
Um, like for instance, if you're low in, in, um, potassium, it could recommend eating a banana or something like that. Speaking of recommendations, this would be something that DJs already do just intuitively and observantly. Uh, but if everybody had the sort of companion app that knew what dances they know, then you could automatically recommend what song to play next. If you had a, let's say you had a, a phone trained on the room and the people, then you can see whose uh, hearts are beating a lot right now, who needs to rest, who has been sitting for a long time, and whose temperature is getting colder, and what dances do the most number of cold people know right now, and which ones uh, have they danced recently. So then you put that on, you try to exclude the people who are tempted to dance that in the hot blood pressure category, and just target the people who need to be kept on the floor for a little while and then rotated back out. All of that, in theory, could be automated with perfect and complete information. Okie dokie. Getting toward the end, we'll see if this one can be answered in two minutes or less. What's something people don't worry about but really should? Interesting. Kind of bringing it full circle to the worry thing. Uh, I guess whether they're moving their bodies and whether they are appreciating their life because it can end any time. Yeah, that's a really important thing. Um, what's something people don't worry about but really should? That's a tough one. Like, I don't know how exactly to relate that to line dance because for the most part, I guess, I don't know if I'd say worry about it because I don't, I don't like the idea of worry. I think worry is unneeded stress. Um, but just take into consideration when the last time is that you dance to dance and when the next time is potentially um, that you're going to be able to dance it again. And if this is maybe the last chance you have um, to really make sure that the dances you're choosing to dance and put in your body and, you know, use to express whatever emotion it is that you're currently dancing for. Um, really does the job and you really appreciate the fact that you can do that. Um, it's a really scary thought to me with what I've geared my life towards over the last two years, the idea of losing the use of my legs. Like, I do so much dance-related stuff so that it's like I make sure that when I go out on that dance floor, when I stand up on you know, in front of people and I'm in the teacher role. I mean, I really try and make the most of every moment I can when it comes to dance, because I do not know if something's going to happen to me in the future and I'm going to still be alive, but not be able to dance versus just not being here as well is another big factor, obviously. But like, I definitely a hard pill to swallow would be able to not be able to do it again and know what it was like so just to really appreciate what you're given um which comes along those lines of what what you were saying about just you know appreciating their life and living it um i know what it was like to feel caged and i know what it feels like to feel free and i much prefer being able to be free and express myself and do what i love and I'm not ready to give that up yet. And I think every single day that I get to step out on a dance floor, I'm absolutely blessed. So I'm very grateful. And I just hope that people really think about 
I mean, in everything in their life, really. Everything that, you know, you could potentially not have a roof over your head. You could potentially not have a car to drive. You could potentially not have the family that you do. You could have things so much worse than they are that those little things that are very stressful and very hard to deal with, just remember what you do have to be grateful for because that's really important. Um, And knowing that, like, you make a difference. I think that's a big thing. And so just be, be aware of what your impact is on yourself and others around you. I think mine would be, um, what's something people don't worry about, but really should, uh, the over proliferation of screens. And along with that, the lack of mystery and secrets and, uh, the loss of local and traditional line dance culture. I, I would, I would beware of over homogenizing, the things that we do just because you saw it on a video. So now it's not the special thing that happened late at night that only the people who were present for can appreciate and remember. But now it's something that went on YouTube, so we all know about it. And we all feel, I mean, it, it can be nice to feel like you were there, but you lose something when, when that specialness is overshared. So... I would say if there are quirky dances that your local area has been doing for years, keep doing them. Don't just swap everything out because choreographers X, Y, and Z came out with a bunch of new dances, so you better learn them to stay caught up with everyone else on YouTube or on Facebook. Um, Keep your old traditions and your old shouts and flair alive even if some people say well that's not part of the dance or that's wrong technically you know that's you know they they can have their opinion and this can be one of those things you do in secret with your local dance group or whatever it is yes if you go to an event maybe you know go with the flow and not mess everyone up if you're all scattered throughout the floor and just do the dance the way everyone else is doing it but it's okay to have you know, boots and buckles, count certain things during certain dances, even if no one else knows what, what they're doing if you take that to Vegas, you know. Um, I think that really makes your life experience and your tribe's local experience special and irreproducible. And that, I find, is becoming rarer as everything gets recorded and shared. So that's something... Maybe people don't worry about right now because it's so exciting to share everything, but something that they ought to keep in mind so that they have something for themselves later. One of the ways I like to look at it is um, like in movies when somebody clones you and you have to say something to, to show people, I'm the, I'm the real me, they're the clone. Have more of those things. Have things that no one knows about that you didn't put in your status update last night or that you didn't you know blast to everyone in your vlog um and just keep something private keep keep some of your dance world private so that your your smallest local tribe has an identity that's only theirs okie dokie well we have now hit our time for today so we again thank you all so much for tuning in live here on Move Radio, move-radio.com. Um, 
as well as you know, we, we thank you for listening to the recorded version of uh, this episode on LionDancePodcast.com. This has been Christopher Gonzalez with Megan Barsoya. And until next time, we will see you on, on the, the dance, dance floor. floor.